0: Welcome to this week's episode, which I believe is episode five of Performing the Arts. Joining me today is...
1: Ray Mizrahi, that's my name. (laughs) I am a Brooklyn College alum now, officially. I graduated in uh, the spring of 2020 um, with two BFAs in creative writing with a concentration in playwriting and acting. I also graduated with a minor in music, and hopefully I'm going to be a writer, performer, singer-songwriter. Um, hopefully you'll be seeing me soon somewhere. Well, everything's shut down now, so <laughs> I guess it'll be virtually.
0: <laughs> well, until probably maybe in the fall somewhere. Uh, so So you mentioned Brooklyn College, and you mentioned a magic shoot, well, uh yeah, magic. Uh, a <laughs> slew of different arts. Uh. <laughs> so, tell me, how did you get into performing arts in general? Uh, Acting, uh, uh, being an actress, writer, songwriter—that sort of thing—was this something that just sparked you one day, or was just something purely educational? Did well, you have friends? Yeah, go ahead.
1: I was three. I, I've lived in New York my entire life as well uh, on the Upper West Side. So I live right by Central Park. Um, so when I was three, my mother, I think, thought it would be cute um, to take me into the park while they were setting up the tech for the Philharmonic. So you know how um, um, in Central Park there's the huge like green field where they set up all of these huge concerts. So I think my mom thought to herself, oh, when she someday becomes a doctor, we'll be able to take photos of her standing on a stage at three beaks, shy and cute and singing to the great lawn. Um, that is not what happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, i They propped me on stage and handed me a microphone when I was about three, four. And I just started singing fearlessly to the entirety of The Great Lawn, where I sung, like, little kid songs and lullabies and whatnot, and everyone applauded because they thought it was cute. And so the techies were like, all right, it's time for it to go. We got to finish setting up. And I was like, no, I fought for the mic. (laughs) And I guess the bug had bit me there ever since. Um, I was working professionally, singing at the age of 13, um, I had also been acting in community theater, but um, that, that passion sort of came a little bit later to me in high school, and then I started writing as a result of my acting um, when I started working with the Tectonic Theater Company, um, with specifically Andy Paris, who was one of the creators of the Laramie Project, and I started doing devised theater, and then that transitioned several years later into playwriting. So
0: Uh, they all sort of interconnected. Ah, nice. Uh, So tell me about the tectonic theater. What what was it? Uh, The yeah, the tectonic theater. Tell me about that.
1: Well, I think my introduction to theater, in terms of writing, was more unique because of that institution specifically because they emphasize vertical theater rather than horizontal theater. Um, Horizontal theater being the emphasis on the text and everything being built upwards as a result. Whereas in tectonic theater, it's each of the different stage elements have their own unique component that is equally valid to text. Um, So I started doing a lot more uh, visually driven theater um, and musically based theater rather than emphasizing specifically writing and language. Um, and I was at that point, I was 17 and everyone in the class was at least three to 10 years, my senior, um, because I'd managed to sneak into that class (laughs) because, um, it was being hosted at Hunter college and I was a college now student. So after getting some stellar grades in the past two semesters, I was able to apply for a class that I wanted to take. Um, and so I fell in love with writing theater and devising theater. Um, are you more specifically asking on like the history of moment making and that kind of theater making, or? Uh, no, I, uh,
0: I was just I was just wondering how did you get into contact with te- te- the tectonic uh, theater because uh, yeah. I just had a th- uh, I had the. Uh, devising class with Jolie and Laura this past semester and we were supposed to have the, the short play devising play festival in like May but because of what was happening it was all strictly online and one of the things that we were researching was the tectonic theater and I believe it was actually actually hang on I, I probably daily, daily actually Showed us a video, and I believe she actually saw you in that video. So it's possibly it was the same video that you were on there.
1: Yeah, possibly.
0: So, yeah, uh, that name actually uh, rang a, uh, a bell, so I wanted to know more about that. So, but yeah, uh, devising is a fun concept, uh, especially since you're both, I mean, especially since you're inside a group with people who are essentially creating a, a play from scratch, essentially. And from your experience, what is the most fun part of actually doing devising work?
1: Uh, It's the collaboration process. There's nothing like it. Um, Everyone is just sort of throwing ideas at a wall together and taking these huge artistic risks um, and seeing whether or not that is rewarding. Usually, actually, it is. That's the really beautiful part. And if it isn't necessarily rewarding in the totality of the idea or the full-blown concept in the um, divisors, actors, writers' head, you at least get little flints of artistic ideas that you can carry on into another piece. So maybe the whole concept doesn't work, but this specific element in this piece that looks really rewarding becomes something else in another piece. And it's taking all of these ideas and pieces that are pioneered by different people and seeing how they interact in a room with each other. Um, There's some really wonderful concepts that people draw as a result of throwing these totally separate integrally related ideas together so um our focus was this idea of identity um and we each have different facets of ourselves that we emphasize some of it's like i'm a new yorker period point blank some people it's um their gender identity or their self-expression or their relationship to um their gender or their or something as simple as fashion or something that they mark themselves as. So all of those identities had a really interesting interplay. So there was these little interludes that we didn't realize were created, but were because we were all collaborating on all of the pieces. So there were some really hmm. happy accidents that happened as a result of devising. And I try to emulate that in my plays, but when it happens organically, it's such a different process than just sitting behind us, like by yourself in your room writing. Um, So yeah, the the actual collaboration for me is the most rewarding part of devising.
0: Yeah, I I believe that because uh, as you just said, writing a play behind a thing, it's it's fun, but being with a few other people just up by uh, just jumping off of ideas, that's more f- that's more freer and more creatively uh, engaging because you get a lot more ideas and all that stuff. Now you mentioned Central Park and you mentioned the Upper West Side. Did that
1: rain.
0: did that environment kind of like factor into uh, the performing arts in general? Because I know there's a lot of like famous schools around there, especially conservatories, acting schools, because, you know, studios, uh, NYU, City College. And the more more you go up, the more you go into Upper Mahan, the more, like, famous uh, places are kind of, like, popping up in terms of acting, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, But, yeah, did the Upper West Side kind of, like, or just Upper Mahen kind of, like, factor into, hey acting could be a, a good, uh, thing for me later in life. Or it, was that something just like something that just being in the Upper West Side, just kind of like, I want to know more about acting, that sort of thing.
1: I think that it wasn't necessarily that, um, A to B, I would say it wasn't that direct of connection, but there is, there are so many, um, influential and affluent theater makers and theatrical institutions that exist in my area. Um, I have had the great pleasure of always being a member of the Theater Development Fund and always having the opportunity to go see Broadway shows. Um, Getting on the rush line at 10 a.m. was easy because I could walk to 42nd Street if I really wanted to. It would take like 40 minutes but I could walk or I could hop on the train um and if I saved up my money or if I uh, begged borrowed not stole I will not I will not condone thievery but begging and borrowing and trying to get in the door uh I had that access I had that privilege because I lived on the Upper West Side of Manhattan and a lot of my um Influences also came from being in Harlem. Um, I started my singing career started being in a gospel choir, actually. I was the only white girl in this gospel choir, Smack dab in the middle of one hundred and twenty fifth street in Lennox, or as they call it, uh, Martin Luther King boulevard. Um, so I also got a lot of that really rich and unique history. So I had this cultural influence from Harlem, the influence of Broadway and like Lincoln Center and LCT3 and all those institutions. And my high school, actually, strangely enough, it was originally on 61st. It was the Beacon School. So I passed through Lincoln Center every day. And then it moved to 44th Street. So I passed through 42nd Street every day. I would go and wait on the ham for ham line every day. And during my senior year of high school, I, I would go and I would see the shows. And that was because I was fortunate enough to, to win the birth lottery of being born on the Upper West Side. Um, so it wasn't necessarily like, oh yes, definitely I should be an actor because there are all these acting influences around me, but I, I was drawn to it as, as an artist. Um, And I still have my difficulties with um, the industry itself and how it reflects on who I am as a person. But being able to witness such great art for such a long period of time in my life definitely propelled me to want to enter the field of theater and generally creating good art.
0: Hmm. Uh, in terms of that art, actually, and you mentioned that you like you sang when you were a kid. But in terms of just like just general performing arts, what got you into acting? Just in general, was it just seeing all those shows, or was it just like a certain play, performance, musical, or just a, a certain movie that just uh, that that kind of like. even more
1: well I would say I started more musically theater driven and then I I tried to dance it wasn't my favorite thing um and so even though I was a junior in high school and all the senior girls were vying for it um I got cast as Lady Beth in my school's production of Macbeth I'm not in a theater, so I could say that.
0: <laughs> hey, but, we're online. We're online, so don't worry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully this doesn't stream to a theater. Just ah. just it out. Um, <laughs> but I fell in love with acting after playing that role. Uh, she was so influential in my understanding of myself, in my understanding of my process, in the beauty and power of words, um, and of specifically Shakespeare. I, I am such a Shakespeare nerd. I love Shakespeare so much. Actually, I don't know if you can see behind me, but right there is a original playbill of one of the earliest productions of Hamlet. Oh, wow. 1849, I believe. Wow. Yeah. Um, I got That's amazing. A- so that's that's my prized possession <laughs> and yeah i after doing shakespeare my mind was blown and i was like i, I want to do this i want to do this again and i don't care how i do it but i, I want this I, I want to act that was the thing that made me really fall in love with acting yeah.
0: Now I have a love and hate relationship with Shakespeare. I, I will say that because it, it is a it's a very hard language, depending on which play you're doing. It's because uh, some of the earlier plays they're very poetic, I think, or they're just very tongue tied. But some of the other <laughs> but some of the other but some of the other plays they're very easy to read and easy to do, especially if you just especially the comedy plays because the comedy plays seem to be more geared towards the physical humor that sort of thing in terms of in terms of shakespeare which side do you prefer doing the more dramatic side or the more zanier comedic sides
1: oh that that's like choosing a favorite child you know how (laughs) (laughs) it's not fair um i will i will say this i think First off, to your point about the, the tongue tiedness of Shakespeare plays, I think um, there's a certain level of decoding that goes along with reading a Shakespeare play. Um, it's not just about the words themselves, it's also about the placement of the words, whether or not the words rhyme, the structure of the words, whether it's written in, po- uh, in prose. Uh-oh. Or, or in a um, poetic form, I'm able to sort of deconstruct the language in that way. I think Shakespeare becomes that much more accessible. Um, I think also the reason that Shakespeare was really accessible to me was because the, the entrance to the 81st Street uh, entrance of Central Park is right by me. I would go get up and wait online to go see Shakespeare in the Park. So I was watching Shakespeare in the Park since I was a lot younger, um, and. For that reason, Shakespeare became more accessible to me because I, I got used to the language. The language itself, reading it, it's not meant to be read, especially not in Shakespeare's time. It, it's meant to be orated or spoken or acted because the actor brings something, another sort of secret element to the language that Shakespeare has bestowed upon that person to bring. There's an obligation to the text that is, um, I wouldn't say different from content. I wouldn't say more holy or, um, anything like that than contemporary writers as a contemporary writer, but I think it's a different, um, plea that the playwright asks of the actor. Um, so... I think that the comedies of Shakespeare are so brilliant because they're not just straightforward comedies. There's so much nuance involved and there's so much commentary involved in Shakespeare's comedies because that's how the public was able to stomach and understand their own prejudice. Um, If we think of Shylock, That character, clearly that play is slightly (laughs) anti-Semitic, slightly is an understatement. But we're able to sort of see the effects of Christianization on society through that comedy. If we're looking at comedy of errors, like they're just beating their wives all over the place in that play. We're able to see domestic abuse as something funny and then go, oh, that's really messed up uh, and so i think as a reader i i have so much more um gratitude and um awe at shakespeare's comedies because of the balance that they pursue and because of the political commentary that they they um describe and dictate and translate for the public but I really I love Shakespeare's history plays. I love his history plays. Joan of Arc is an incredible character in Henry the Part One. Um, that's a that's a dream role of mine. <laughs> uh, and I've mostly uh, interacted with his dramatic characters. Uh, I think that's part of just like typecasting. They go, oh, light eyes, dark hair, villain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I I think that all of Shakespeare's works are just fantastic and I want to just stick my hands in all of them. So uh, I I guess I I will say I would like to do more of Shakespeare's comedies. I'd also like to play some more male roles of Shakespeare because they're just phenomenal. Um,
0: I I think what they should do now, especially with Shakespeare now, is actually start doing, uh, because I know... The, I've done Shakespeare in a Park, not like *D* Shakespeare in a Park, but I've done Shakespeare in a Park, you know, for <laughs> my community thing. And some of the male roles were actually played by actresses that I know of. Mm-hmm. And what they should be doing now is actually really be opening up uh, uh, the male roles with female with, with uh, actresses, so they could, so anybody could actually have a chance to do it now. And I do agree that uh, Shakespeare does have like a very vast, like like you just want to stick your hands into your Shakespeare and actually read more of this stuff and actually become a lot more engrossed for it. But you mentioned Shakespeare, you mentioned Central Park, you mentioned a lot Upper West Side, Manha- uh, Midtown things. Are there other, and also Harlem itself, are there any other inspirations that you have in terms as being an actress and playwright because in terms of inspirations with, with me, I tend to look after, I tend to look at Gary Oldman or Christopher Walken as my inspirations because they have a way of handling themselves on screen, depending if they're playing a dramatic role or comedic role. In terms of writing, I tend to really look after people who have done both uh, comedic type of writing but also do dramatic writing, so that and that also stems from, from people who do novels as well. So it doesn't really stem for just playwrights only. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in terms of ju- just being both an actress, singer, and playwright, you ha- like, what are your other inspirations in that field?
1: Um. Oh my goodness! You asked that question, and like ten thousand names flood into my head. It's like when you open like <laughs> Apple Music, and it's like all of the songs. Um, <laughs> uh, to, uh, I'll start with playwrights first because I feel like those names are, I don't, I don't wanna say more familiar to me, but they're, they're just here. Um, I think sp- specifically I've been reading a lot of uh, p- politically based literature right now. I've been reading like Why Democracies Die and um, Kill All Normies. And I think that's because I've been looking at Bo Williman a lot. Mm. Um, he's written like Farragut North. Um, he was also the showrunner for House of Cards. He wrote The Parisian Woman, um, uh, which started okay. in Ingrid and Philip Suss on Broadway two seasons ago. Um, phenomenal writer. His timing and the way he um lets things come to like a slow bubble, like a slow burn, and then it all sort of implodes at the end is is something that I hope to emulate or or lift. I don't want to say steal, but even though good artists artist really steal. <laughs> uh, other playwrights, oh my God, I can't believe this was in the first one I mentioned, Erin Courtney. She was my mentor for these past two years. She's going to Northwestern, and she's going to be teaching there from now on, so I'm sure Brooklyn College will miss her, um, but she was the head of the MFA Playwriting Program for the past year and was one of the head teachers for I say the past 15 years um, but she has mentored me through my creative process for the past two years um, for her I am eternally grateful because by accident I sort of stepped into one of her playwriting classes because she wasn't supposed to teach playwriting one um, and then she took me on as her mentee for the next two years and witnessed me write I, I want to say like six or eight plays under her i've i've been very prolific under her tutelage (laughs) for the past two years um and she's been the person who's told me if you can if you can think it and if you think it's going to be this just go for it um i'd never written a play a full-length play before i'd never written a 10-page play before her the longest play that i actually wrote that was produced and done it was part of um a one minute like play festival. It was like one page plays and it was done through my school and it was it was so much fun. And one of, there were like, let's say 500 different separate play submissions and mine was chosen to be done out of like, I think 20 or 22. I'm very proud of that play. <laughs> it's not a big deal, but for me as a playwright getting, I think getting to see my work staged was one of the great joys of my life. Um, but she was the person who turned around to a girl who had written one, a one-page play or like a 20-minute exercise and said, you wanna write a full-length play? I don't see why you can't, go for it. And I wrote <laughs> in three months my first 90-page, like 90-minute play. Um, So she is one of the great influencers and I love her so much. I have endless gratitude for this woman. Um, And I hope she has fun not being at Brooklyn anymore. Um, (laughs) uh, Mac Wellman is also a big influence for me. Um, I really like his use of language and the deconstruction of verbiage just generally. And I think that's also goes hand in hand with the tectonic theater's concept of writing. And Moises Kaufman is another one. Uh, if you haven't read like The Disappearing Number, it's a really fabulous play by Moises. Everyone looks at the Laramie project typically, but um, Moises has a slew of his own work. Um, he also has a wonderful laugh. <laughs> just a wonderful laugh. So distinct. Um, so, and then I'll just say, uh, Jung Jin Lean, sarah DeLapp and claire Barron. everyone looks at dance nation from claire Barron, but i um really God, wow i'm blanking on the name of the play i'm like may and um like now now the play's gonna come back to me at the worst time but i read her play when i was that play when i was like 17 and i was like this is crazy i love it um i want to do that uh, you've got you've gotten older that's Um, and acting is the canonical, like Meryl Streep, um, but one of, I really like Star Trek, so <laughs> I, I, first off Gene Roddenberry, amazing writer, but, um, wow, how am I blanking on everyone's name? Uh, <laughs> um, oh my God, I'm seeing his face and it's so bad that I'm losing his name. Oh my Shatner? God. No Patrick Stewart. there it is Oh Patrick Stewart yes yeah. <laughs> Patrick Stewart amazing Shakespearean actor amazing actor, just generally he's fabulous and everything that he does um, i I, th- I saw him as Lear, I believe at one point at um, bam or I'm, I'm confusing the roles um, and uh, another wonderful. Shakespearean actor who also um, was part of the public theater. He uh, was also part of um, the uh, show um, House of Cards and he um he was he's done a lot of different kinds of work uh cory oh, really? i really like work he's fabulous he played yeah, he brutus Juliet really caesar at shakespeare in the park and i cried and i looked at that and i was like i i want to do that and um i actually had the pleasure of interacting with him once because we were both waiting online and i turned around and there's cory Stoll and the f- I want to say 16, 17-year-old in me decides to have a major breakdown, and I'm just, <laughs> and then he reaches over, and I'm like, hi! <laughs> he's like, <Yeah>. hello. <laughs> and I was like, I saw you in the park, I saw you at the public, you're fabulous. How? And we talked about Shakespeare and language while he was waiting for his rank. Um, honestly, he, wonderful human being.
0: Twelve thousand out
1: of ten. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was some acting influences as well, just as a human and as an actor.
0: As an actor, he is a very underrated actor. because he hasn't because he has like one of those type of uh, styles that he should be in more stuff, but he isn't really like he isn't really in that much stuff. He's kind of like in the background somewhere, and he has like maybe a five minute scene somewhere that's like kind of kind of memorable. And it's like. I know that actor. It's just that I haven't seen him that much. But yeah, he is a very underrated actor. Uh, I really in tr-
1: character actors. He's one of those kinds of actors that is such a chameleon. He can step into anything, transform. One minute he's a senator, and the next minute he's Yellow Jacket. Like he can flip a switch, and it's one of it's so mesmerizing to be able to see the same person just take on so many forms. Um, yeah,
0: and. I kinda know his name not from because of Yellow Jacket, but he was also in the show The Strain for several seasons, I think. I'm not sure how many seasons he was on there. But he was basically playing a vampire hunter. And I'm like, it's like he could go from being a political actor, you could be playing political types, playing a super villain, and then the next moment you're playing a vampire hunter. I'm like, that is just range because you could just essentially just go boom, 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 and then like. But yeah uh in terms of moments like that uh is there like a kind of like defining moment in your career so far where it's just like i know i made it as an actress or a writer or something like that or is it just like something that's kind of like slowly but surely like building up to that like moment i don't
1: think i have I feel like I just graduated, so I'm sort of just like I made it out of college alive, thank God. Uh, I mean, I made it out more than alive. I, I graduated with honors and, like, summa cum laude because I worked my ass off at my craft. Um, but I feel like there are certain milestones, but not like, I made it! Um, the The only time I've ever sort of begun to feel that feeling of, like, wow, I actually am a playwright was... Um, I sat down with this playwright who's, who's written some fabulous work. And uh, he was one of the reasons I started writing because I read Reasons to be Pretty, uh, Neil Butte, And I was like, wow, this is, this is, this is a controversial conversation. It's very difficult to talk about female identity and women and aging and what that means about beauty. Um, And that horrible relationship. But he, told me at one point, you know you're a playwright because you've written a play, you're already a playwright. You, you realize that, right? And I was like, no, I didn't, it's not, it hasn't been anywhere, I haven't done anything with it. And he's like, no, but you, you've done the footwork, you've written a play, and then you wrote another play after that, and another play after that play, and that makes you a playwright. Um, so <laughs> then I was like, oh wow, actually I'm kind of a playwright, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's good
1: advice, too. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, I guess I am. Um, it, yeah, I've... I think one of the best things that I've learned about being in the industry that's not about the industry or writing or acting itself is just... But also inherently related is just be brave. You see the playwright in the back of the room and he's... Uh, watching the show because he's trying to take notes and modify because this is going to go up somewhere else, talk to them. Just say hi and say, I'm, I do this and that and I'd like to ask you questions. Especially in the middle of this pandemic because nobody's doing anything right now. And yes, some people are being Shakespeare who wrote um, King Lear in the middle of a pandemic and r- wrote some of his greatest work. <laughs> But a lot of people are just trying to navigate the creative sphere in this amorphous world that we're living in, and they'll give you advice if you ask. Um, yeah. So it's just like be brave, stick your neck out, say hi. Like, yeah, What uh, do you have to lose?
0: It's kind of remember me. It's kind of like me remember the time uh, I was re- a few months not a few months ago uh, back in October. Well, back in September and October, I was actually ushering for Second City Stage for their production of Linda Vester. So for the first, cup, for the first, like, maybe week or two, I actually saw Tracy Levitz, uh, Levitz just, like, in the back, just, like, watching his show, taking notes, that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. I and I know who it was. And I just didn't want to go up to him and actually say, hey, Mr. Levitz, I mean, Mr. Levitz, you know, I'm like, right, I don't want to be, like, so nervous and everything, because I'm an usher. And... As an usher, I got to be more mindful about, hey, please, hey, you know, that sort of thing. But yeah, it's like what you just said, you have to take that chance and actually start taking that chance, especially nowadays, now that uh, we are living in a more new world, especially what's, what's been happening with COVID-19 and how that has affected a lot of theaters, not only theaters in general, but shows in general, because a lot of these shows now have been closed indefinitely uh Peter Juice never got to uh, officially close which is sad because I was waiting to see that so much frozen closed just as they introduced a new cast uh us, you know uh the hangman just didn't even get a chance to actually go into further previews
1: mm-hmm. so
0: you know yeah especially nowadays if you have the I'm chance
1: I the previews a month ago and and I was
0: like, "We're here, and that's everything closed down. yeah it, it's it, uh do you think and this is a question because, and I, I guess this is a question I keep on bringing back to especially uh, with my uh recent guest, but because it, it is a more uh, current topic, but do you think in the next like maybe a year or two, Broadway will go back to normal, or would there still be a still mindful restrictions due to what have has transpired with uh, the coronavirus and I
1: think that, partially that's dependent on the marvels of modern science um, and the ability to produce a vaccine or treatment or further their understanding on the virus itself. Um, I think also, that our governor specifically has been much more cautious and has followed directives in order to protect um, citizens. And I think that those two factors will make creating large indoor spaces where thousands of people are gathered really difficult. Um, I think that Broadway will be Reduced in capacity. I know that um, the president of Broadway said we're keeping our fingers crossed for January. Um, and I also know people who are in shows right now who are talking about oh, um, if a show is closed for X amount of time, that means they can revise everything that's in the show and implement new choreography and implement XYZ um, and modify. Um, so I think that Broadway is going to possibly take this moment and try to run with it and revise shows so that people who've already seen the shows might come back and witness them a second time and see the revision. Um, I also think that possibly Broadway houses won't be filled to capacity. That's what I start to assume, that it would be at were a third capacity if they were going to open up in I don't know next February, March. Um, But if a second wave hits then who knows what's gonna happen. Um, And it's also about keeping cast members safe. You know that what Netflix series are doing right now is they're creating pods so they have all of these actors who are on the shoot collect, get tested, get tested again after two weeks, live with each other for the entirety of the shoot, and then get sent on their merry way. So they all just sort of cohabitate rather than um, go back to their homes at night. So for the entirety of the shoot of the series, they're just staying together. Um, that, That feels a lot less feasible with large Broadway shows, especially because you can't just let people sleep in the theater. I mean, you know, Equity says they're one caught, but (laughs) you're going to need like 30 for the cast of West Side Story.
0: Yeah. Uh, Oh, speaking of West Side Story, uh, there is a question I do have to ask, because I know West Side Story and other romantic type of musicals or, you know, plays, they're very, very engaging, you know, very, you know, very central, that sort of thing. Do you see plays, essentially, especially the more like I want to say more like uh, I won't say like vulgar plays, but like plays in general or productions in general, where it's like they had so many kissing and so many uh, and so much like like stage nudity that sort of thing. Do you see that stuff being toned down because of what happened, or do you just see it being more like what you just said before? They got to modify, adapt to a point where it's like, hey, this is what, that's suitable.
1: I think that writers are writing with those um, parameters in mind. I know I am. Um, With the idea that people will not be able to be at a close distance and that physical tension will be very um, far apart. Um, But I feel like, I sort of hope they don't. I mean, obviously I care about the actor's safety and <laughs> whatnot, um, especially because my best friend is understudying as Maria in West Side Story. So if, if it's like comes to intimacy and like her health, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, but um, there's something, theater replicates the human experience. And the human experience includes physical intimacy. And there's something that's so transcendent about physical intimacy that sends chills down one's spine. Um, And to sort of eliminate that from the scope of realism on a stage is really disappointing. It's disheartening. because there's such immense power in touch. Um, And as a person who, in their writing, works a lot with shapes and physicality, it's hard to take those tools and say, um, I guess I'm not going to be implementing them now for the next two years in my writing, because if I do, realistically, this will not be staged. Um, But that being said, there has there has to be some kind of line thank god i'm not the one writing the rules or drawing the yeah. line but yeah. there has to be some there's gotta be something because you live for that moment when maria kisses uh tony what, hmm? yeah Is so it maria, t- tony or you you live for that romeo, moment really. romeo and juliet kiss et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's a very, it's a
0: very powerful moment.
1: Yes. Um, It's, and it's a climax in and of itself. There's, there are these contours and shapes that a writer produces when making theater. And, and if the arc isn't there, there's, there's essentially, you've lost a piece of the foundation in which all of that writing was founded upon. It's like If it's, like, a stage direction, for me, I'm very religious about my stage directions. I don't write a stage direction. That doesn't have to happen. Um, and a lot of actors are like, stage direction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, But there's something that the playwright is trying to convey with that piece. They wouldn't insert themselves unnecessarily. So... If it says they need to kiss, There's, there is a need there. There's something that furthers the arc of the story in the action um, that's so simplistic but so, and, and can be seen as trivial. You can walk by two people kissing on the street and be like, yo, get a room. But it's something that, that brings the story one step further. Um, and that step is so crucial. The audience needs to take that step with the work. Otherwise, there's a, there's a disparity, there's a gap. Um, so hopefully that gets sorted out, whether or not it's... Um, what West Side Story has done is incorporated a lot of cinematography into their work. Um, whether or not that's taking every Maria and every understudy and every Tony and every understudy and asking them to contain themselves for two weeks, get a COVID test and filming that kiss so that it could be played every time without the actors having to physically uh, interact in that way, maybe that's a solution. But I think that there are so many dynamic, um, thoughtful, creative minds that are in this industry that that something is gonna get where there's Some director is going to find the perfect solution for their piece. Um, maybe, maybe Eva Bonhova will take that, I don't know. <laughs> I think he's a two-time Tony Award winner. I don't think he needs my advice, really. Wait, two, he was twice nominated. I'm lying, but he, was, he won one Tony at least. Okay, anyway. Yeah, Wolf on stage. He can do whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I do have, I kind of like save it. Like, I do have a couple of questions left. But I kind of like want to save, I kind of want to save the best question for one of the best questions for last. As a Brooklyn College alum, and we are now actually Brooklyn College alums, so that's, I, I, feel so much pride to hear, to say that in my heart. Uh, uh Tell me, how did you get into Brooklyn College? Was it just like, was it a hard decision to do? Because I know there are other, uh...
1: Institutions?
0: Yeah, other like especially CUNY wise that have great, you know. The, and I'm not saying that Brooklyn College doesn't have a great de- theater department. It has a fantastic theater department. Anybody who's watching who wants to go see a great production, go to Brooklyn College. Okay, they will stun your ass off. All right. uh, but yeah, tr- okay. <laughs> and, and that's not and that's not paid endorsement. Okay, if Brooklyn College wants to pay me that an, an endorsement every time I say that. <laughs> I'm here. Just tell me. <laughs> no, but I am... Uh, but yeah, in terms of other colleges, because I know Hunter College has a good uh, state department. I know City College has a good state department. Queens College, maybe. Yeah, Queens College, you know, that sort of thing. When it came down to looking for colleges, especially for BFA programs, which I know you were... You, you were a BFA and... Yeah, BFA program. Like, how was that uh decision really decided on it especially to go with broken college in the end
1: well um once i graduated high school i told myself "Mm, i want to take a gap year um that's what i thought at the end of my junior year and as a correction um i thought when i was going to graduate high school i was going to take a gap year and so i missed a lot of the application deadlines for um uh, other conservatories, i.e., SUNY uh, Purchase, i.e., NYU, et cetera, et cetera, um, or Pace, whatever. What 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 have you? Um, and so, Brooklyn College was the only BFA program that was still accepting applications. And I thought to myself, "Hey, why not?" I feel I feel compelled to do this. Um, so I went in. I was late to my audition. That is a story. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I spent, I said, I'm going to leave. It's a Saturday. I'm going to leave three hours to get there. Because I live on the Upper West Side. Usually it takes like an hour 30. Yeah. Uh, it took three and a half hours to get there. It took three trains and an Uber and a cab. And then they dropped me off on the wrong side of campus, um, and then I had to run from like the you know the huge like uh, the web building, the barn. yeah, run from there all the way to Whitehead. It was ridiculous anyway, um, but I made it. I ended up getting into the room, and um, I missed the call back that day, but I was able to actually still give an audition um, and I waited, I heard back, I got a call back. I went and I auditioned and I said, if I get in, I should go. And if I don't, then I'll take the gap year and I'll practice my craft in another way and see if I really want to do this. Um, And I got in Um, and I was shocked. (laughs) I was very shocked. Um, And it was sort of, no, I don't want to say happenstance but it was the stars aligning in such a way that felt beyond coincidence for me. Um, So that's how I ended up at BC. And I did study with um, a wonderful professor from Hunter who also is directing at Juilliard. She's also one of my mentors. I love her. I think she's fabulous. Her name's Adrienne Williams. Go watch her work, go watch her reel. She's wonderful and has taught me so much about acting. Um, But I really wanted a conservatory program. I really wanted those 12 people that I would know for the next three years and work with for the next three years. I wanted that intimacy. Um, And a lot of the other programs don't necessarily have that. It's like classes that you take with others, obviously, but those people can shift in and out of those rooms. So I have had the immense pleasure of being in an ensemble of people who are all incredibly talented, hard-working, risk-taking, wonderful people. We've all graduated together. um, And they are going to be my artistic community for a long time and that's because of that um, nuclear program. It's it's very nuclear. You have this family um, of artists and I'm immensely grateful to each and every one of them for kicking my ass every time I walked into a room because they kick your ass and they make you reach higher. Um, And so it's the people, but it's also the teachers. Roger Mannix, who left, um, he was one of the best teachers that I've ever had. Um, Graham Schmidt, he's a director, He's also married to Antoinette Nwandu, activist, Chekhovian scholar. Um, I, I've had the pleasure of, because all artists want to come to the city and work, or go to LA, I don't know. But they sometimes become teaching artists and want to work with a diverse group of actors. I'm not the most diverse actor. I'll, I'll, I'll be there for the LGBTQ community, because I'm one, but I'm still pretty white. <laughs> um, but we, we had such a diverse ensemble, and I was able to be in the room and work with those people because of the stature of the program, and because it was a BFA program. So yeah, that's how I settled on BC.
0: Interesting, very interesting, actually, because I, because I wanted, like, I wanted to know, like, how much of BC essentially factored into your, like, not necessarily educational, like, education going forward, or just, like, but it's going forward, what can we expect from you in the next, like, say, couple of, like, the next I'll just say it in 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 the next foreseeable future.
1: There we go. Oh goodness. Um, ha! Huh. That's such a weird turn of phrase. I've I've I known people who say don't expect tomorrow. So, I I live by that very much. But in the foreseeable future, we'll call it that. Um, I'm going to still be writing. I'm going to still be um, producing art. Um, i want to be acting i really because of brooklyn college i found that i have this immense love for acting on camera um Mm -hmm. and that is something that i do want to pursue and i think a lot of writing has become a lot more inclusive and diverse over these past couple of years especially with the uh invention of streaming services and how they sort of transgress the typical boundaries of you write at a studio for 12 months and they train you and then you become a right part of the writer's room and then you're in uh I don't want to say indoctrinated I don't want to be like they brainwash you but you you get the um skills that that specific institution wants you to carry in your writing um so I think that because of that writing has diversified and gained different um hues and different shades of different stories so i want to be a part of that movement uh, <laughs> i hope to be in a writer's room in the next couple of years um i hope to be on camera um i will continue to write and um, hopefully produce more of my plays as readings um i'm starting that series now and i've actually contacted a few playwrights that were also part of the bc community who wrote stuff that i've acted in and or read for um and said hey i want i know all these actors let's make some theater in the interim online Um, so hopefully that'll be part of this uh, larger series of work where new playwrights and new actors are converging online. Um, So I'll be trying to do that. I also, uh, hopefully, I want to community organize. I have such a passion for not just playwriting, but poetry and um, historical writing, because now I'm becoming obsessed with that. I'm not much of an essayist, but I definitely have opinions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) we all do.
1: Yeah. We, with that? Some of us do. Some of us, I think, um, I think it's about how informed the opinion is and how much you really invest in having that opinion. Um, I think that that's part of the concepts of polarization, but we're already, that is a whole other sphere, <laughs> um, but. I think I also want to do some community organizing stuff. I've I've taught as, as, um, I've, I've been a teaching artist and hopefully I, I want to, I'm launching a right into the night project. So from like four to six, I'm trying to gather a bunch of high school students who want to write and want to explore the different genres of writing and do nice. essentially weekly courses of like let's talk about poetry, um, and then have an open mic night at the end of the night so people can share their work, or let's talk about writing a monologue, what that means, um, so I want to be doing community outreach as well, um, and yeah, I, 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 um, just keep wanting to grow my artistic roots into different pots, (laughs) all of the different pots.
0: Honestly, you have the the what's the word, uh, willpower or tenacity that could actually just go through that because I actually could see you doing all that stuff, and I really and I really do see you like maybe in a few years, maybe in being in some writer's room for like say I don't know crazy Anatomy season twenty eight or something like that. Or oh something. goodness,
1: it's so
0: what, what whatever <laughs> I season? I love you
1: if you ever watch this. Also
0: hire me (laughs) (laughs) i have i have no idea what season they're on so i just guesstimated there Uh
1: that's fine but
0: but yeah i will because i i think in the next especially a couple of years especially and i won't and this is i won't be being around the bus here but especially what's been happening for the past like say month or so with the protests and stuff like that and how people are becoming a, a more and more pissed off about what's been happening in america as opposed to just being uh oppressed and just being
1: it. Oh,
0: yeah uh i do see maybe in the next few years more people being included into like writers rooms that sort of thing more shows opening up to that sort of thing. I know Brooklyn College just had a town hall thing that says hey we're going to be trying to do the same thing and you know be more inclusive that's sort of, you know the, the same few points as, uh, as what you just said before. So oh, what I just said uh, uh, I'm kind of rambling so sorry.
1: Uh, I think that's sort of um, the crude way of what a podcast is it's kind of just A
0: couple people rambling. Well, we're kind of like rambling for an hour, but also we're kind of very informative for an hour too. So, if you're watching this, I salute you for actually watching the whole thing. So, Uh, (laughs) but for my last question, oh, I do have one last question. Do you have any advice for the people who are actually watching or listening or both? Uh,
1: Well. I don't know where they are artistically. I don't know what they're doing. Um, hmm. I I think I said, I touched on this before, of taking risks, being bold, saying, like, if you really, even if you don't know what you want, like, I I go through periods of, do I really want to act? Or do I really want to write? Or because this whole pandemic has sort of upended the entire industry. And for about two weeks there, I started studying for the LSATs because i freaked out about actually getting employment um i just ask anyway um just go for it anyway if if um you see someone that you want to interact with or you have questions just just ask and there's so many resources that are available um new york theater workshop is doing fireside chats with so many people Um, they just did one on LGBTQ, AI plus, um, matters and theater making. Um, and there are so many different networks that one can take advantage of right now. And to do don't, don't let that pass you by. Um, I should take this piece of advice, organize, organize, organize. I, I get so, um, entangled in all the different threads that I want to pursue that sometimes I just totally stress myself out of doing any of it. Um, so I, I guess that's totally calling myself out, but you, I, you need a calendar (laughs) or you need a schedule. Um, and that also allows you to give yourself time to take breaks, um, and actually have a break instead of sort of like, grazing through a day with like five 10 minute breaks you can actually go and say I'm going to take an hour walk because I need to take an hour walk and the last piece of advice that I got that I didn't realize uh, was so important and that I didn't realize I was skipping out on for so long was that there is so much actually in life to discover that will feed into your your art. Social interactions, just going out and eavesdropping on on people. Some of my teachers have just told me straight up, eavesdrop, just eavesdrop and write what you hear. And um, look at what's around you, take the moment to observe. Observation is one of the world's greatest teachers. Um, To be able to look and watch it's it's our job i think as artists to take the world process it digest it and say something about it whether whether that's um a, a moral uh sitting on a moral pillar and preaching your whatever um or just posing a question about what you've what the world has entrusted you to witness um it's important it requires a level of observation it requires a level of curiosity so look around you look up every once in a while unplug every every chance you get um go to the park and sit in a field for an hour feel what it's like to be in your own skin um those would be yeah that's and that's a risk in and of itself taking that risk and being inside of your own soul is such a huge risk sometimes um and that's sometimes the most rewarding place to be
0: and on that note i believe that's a great way of actually ending this episode ray thank you for being a great guest and speaking for for... no problem uh before we go do you have any social media and anything else you want to plug
1: Yes, totally. So I mentioned before that I'm doing um, some staged readings of, of pieces, um, and I'm trying to generate that as a series. So I um, this might have been, uh, been passed, but um, on the 20th of uh, June, 2020, obviously, uh, <laughs> unless you're really going into the files and it's 2024 and you're listening to this. Um, I released a version of a staged reading of a play called Control. It's about uh, LGBTQ issues, consent, uh, intersectionality, and um, the intersection of uh, women of being a woman and all the other um, social, economic, political um, identity-related issues. Um, pieces of self that how and how they interact um in a space so if you want to check that out it's on my youtube channel you can look me up Uh, it's also all on my website so if you look go to ray miz that's r-a-e-m-i-z.com you'll find everything there i'm on instagram at ray mizrahi Um, i'm also on facebook by that same name and Yeah, hopefully I'll be hearing from listeners soon. Hopefully you'll enjoy my work. And thank you for taking the time to listen and be a part of art General
0: and And with that, I bid you all adieu. Take care, everyone, and stay safe. Till next time. Bye.